0: Uh, and uh, we hope that, uh, hope that you will do that. If you will join me now in Galatians chapter 5, uh, you know, I'm not telling you any secret if, uh, if I tell you that we have a lot of different philosophies, right? There's a lot of different human philosophies. And they tend to clump around certain individuals um, who put, put the tenets of that philosophy together. And it may have been based on ancient... Uh, ideas but uh, you know we recycle that all the time and somebody else puts it forward and so okay you learn about all of that in philosophy 101 in your undergraduate education so uh, there's all sorts of different human philosophies there are also all types of different psychological theories and so the world the the lost world is constantly trying to find out how to get unstuck and how to get over how they feel and the mess they are in and what happened to them. There's, so, there, so every year there's something new to try, some new way of counseling people, some new therapeutic aspect dealing with trauma or addictions or something else. So as we have been considering the Holy Spirit, we're going to come on a couple of weeks, this being one that really gives you the answer. Because today we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, excuse me, the fruit of the Spirit, and then in a the coming week we will talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and all of that is the answer that the world is searching for, and the one that we need to make sure we know that we have. So if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, I think that this is a passage that ought to be more familiar to us than it is today so much so that i'm heading into this as a survey this morning a survey really i need to do a separate study on these nine fruits of the spirit but for today a survey is going to have to do and paul leads us into this by taking us to a church that was in danger of becoming an endangered species I mean, this church, they were in danger of going extinct as a body of believers. And the reason they were going in this wrong direction had so much division and fighting and nipping at each other all the time was because of a misunderstanding of the basics of the spiritual life. So the Galatians were the bad boys of the Bible. Almost every epistle, Paul writes, to every church in the New Testament, he thanks God for them. Not so with the Galatians. They were OG, old Galatian. I mean, they were old gangsta. And, and many of them thought, you know, if we just set up the right rules, you know, the family rules, that, you know, kind of like the mafia, These this is what we go by, well then okay that'll that'll work for the Christian life and uh, we while there is a spiritual discipline we call discipleship it is not rules that power the Christian walk so in this classic passage Paul is telling us how the normal Christian life really works and this is muy importante Because here's my thesis for today's study. A relationship with the Holy Spirit is always seen in the victory that he brings to your life. So I need you to know today that Jesus is the perfect example of that victory. The Holy Spirit is the only source. But I want us to start in verse 16 because I'd like to give us in this survey 35,000 foot flyover, the complete picture. And verse 16 in Galatians 5 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you live in freedom, if you are born again, if you are animated by the Spirit, then you will feed on that and bear fruit and you will not feed the compulsions of self and selfishness and narcissism and you can choose today to be led by the holy spirit and escape an erratic existence and you do not get that answer in any psychology or in any philosophy And until then, here's you. I'll show you, you look at verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. And since you're not yet feeling me and Paul like I need you to, can I give you an experiential explanation of two opposing realities? Are you saved? Have you become a Christian by being born again? Have you you given your life to have you said, you know, Jesus, I give you control, so that God puts you in Christ and puts the Holy Spirit in you? And really, that's the definition of a Christian, is someone who's giving God control, giving Christ control. I mean, I'm not a Christ follower. A A lot of Christians use that phrase today, and you know, anybody can follow Christ, Buddhists, will follow certain teachings of Christ. No, I am one who has given Christ control. And so now, once you've done that, that places you in a war zone. You are on a battlefield, which is mainly in your mind, and it's not really your emotions that Satan is fighting for, because the bigger battle is between these two opposing realities. Number one, your unredeemed humanity. Because what it brings to you is an imparted contamination because of the infection of sin. So your body says, no, not here, you don't. You're not bringing spiritual stuff in here. I mean, the sin in me has been running things for so long, you can't change. You cannot change. Just accept the you that you are Because I'm not about to give up control without a fight. And yet, if you're born again, and this is number two, your divine nature is implanted in you by being born again. So that means a new occupant is living in the old house. And when you will give the Holy Spirit access to your mind to transform your mind through a process, Paul calls minding the spirit, then he sets up shop to begin a complete renovation. He'll take control of your flesh, your passions, your desires, your lusts. And, and that is the real nature of spiritual warfare. I mean, it really, it didn't have anything to do with, with devils or angels. I mean, that is a smokescreen that the enemy uses to get your attention off the real battlefield. Because here's our first point for study <coughs> spiritual warfare. Is always a fight between your flesh and the Holy Spirit. And now that you're a Christian, you may still sin the same sin that you used to sin when you were a sinner. But if you've been born again by trusting Jesus for eternal life, you cannot sin the same sin you used to sin the same way. Your Why? Because your inner nature has changed. And this is because when the Spirit of God comes inside, he's got his war paint on. (laughs) He's got his combat boots on. So if you can still sin the same way that you used to sin when you were still a sinner, it is because you are still the same sinner that you used to be when you used to sin, and you need to get saved. The prime thing that the Holy Spirit does is let you know he is holy, because that is his adjective, and that is what he shares with you. And that is why, as a Christian, misery sets into your conscience if you refuse him and refuse to be delivered from your darkness. Your life is like a football game. You've got another team opposing you. It's the flesh and the spirit, and you don't score every down, but you know what? You don't need to in order to win. The team captained by the flesh tries to keep you from making forward progress, and So if sin gets in its, you know, in, in the way and and for you know you feel benched, you are tackled in the backfield. Many of us experience not being able to maintain our line of scrimmage. So we look up and all of a sudden we're we're five yards in the hole and and the flesh won that down. But God says you now have a coach, a new coach on the inside. Opposing sins control, so you know in football, you have what can be called a pulling guard now that's what I liked to play uh you know when I was in high school and played football for a minute because so I was the so let's say I was the left guard, and so here's the center, and I am just to the left of the center. And so as the center snaps the ball, then I'm not blocking the defensive lineman in front of me. No, I am going straight. I'm heading straight down the line of scrimmage. So from the left, I am pulling to the right because I am blocking for the fullback who's going to be coming up behind me. So, so I'm blocking for him. God gives you a pulling guard and the Holy Ghost runs interference for you. So when the opponent tries to use the flesh to tackle you behind the line, the spirit blocks on the play. And because the spirit is so good at his position, you are not obligated to lose yardage on every down. So I got good news for you this morning. Maybe your flesh has been trained to sin all your life. And you know what? You may frankly go to the grave never losing the desire the desire to do that sin. But you can go all the way to the grave never having to fulfill that sin because the Spirit of God becomes your blocker. And all you have to do is follow your blocking because look at verse 18. If ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Law is good. I mean, it's a a structure and accountability is is good. Uh, The law is especially good to reveal how bad we are. But if you let the Holy Spirit rule in your life, you will rise above needing laws. And so many of us can witness, and this is the second point for study, how your Christian life becomes a burden when it is not Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, and Spirit-directed. If you are a Christian and not being Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, and Spirit-directed, then your life becomes a burden you know christ does have a cross for every christian to pick up and bear the kingdom of god is only entered through much tribulation acts 14 20, uh, 22 so it will have burdens but it shouldn't be a burden paul says when the spirit takes over we function by relationship to christ instead of by rules that's why you need the Holy Spirit in your life in order to produce fruit. And if you go back to chapter 3, verse 1 of Galatians, Galatians 3 1, I mean, Paul calls them out, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? I mean, you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified. Among you? I mean, I, I preached that to you. I taught that to you. I showed you. I preached Christ and him crucified. Did somebody put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? You are going off the rail on the crazy train with Ozzy, because it is obvious that You no longer have a crucified Christ in focus and a crucified life working on your behalf. So his sacrifice on the cross was set before you certainly and clearly as to what it would do and what what it enables you to do. But yet many of us are faltering because we're trying to do in our own might what only God is mighty to both will and do through us. And we need to be looking to the strong one for our strength, like Job 9 verse 19 says. So what is the nature of the Spirit's work in your life? Well, okay, verse 19. Let's start with the contrast. Let's look at the opposing, the, the negative um, of in this picture. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest... In other words, you can know whether or not you are a spiritual or a fleshly Christian. You can tell. You don't have to wonder after today. Walking in the Spirit is not guesswork. Paul lists three categories for us of things which illustrate life in the flesh. The first classification has to do with morality and regards sensual sins. Look at verse 19, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now in all of Paul's vice lists, anywhere in the New Testament, adultery is always on the cover of the catalog. Because that is the favorite indoor sport of Gentiles. So... Paul says, look, you're in the flesh when you're doing these things. Adultery and fornication, they're only done externally in relationship to somebody else. But uncleanness can be privatized and and a personal struggle. Lasciviousness means you've gone full skank. I'm just saying, I mean, you have come out of the closet, you're now, you know, you you take pride in that immorality, okay, okay. But now hold it. Wait, Paul is not talking to anybody on the outside of this church. Paul is talking to Christians in here. He is talking to all of us. The desire to want to do these things comes from the flesh, influencing our heart. So we can never get rid of it without either the rapture of the church off this planet or the resurrection of your body if you happen to die before that. And each one of us will always have this battle until we get a glorified body. Following the moral sins of sensuality, Paul deals with the mystical sins of superstition. Watch, verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft. Now, idolatry is worshiping something other than God. It's, it is not just worshiping other gods like they might do in India or you know someplace else. It is worshiping anything other than God. That is idolatry. So you might ride in your idol. You might live in your idol. I mean, we come up with the puniest excuses to keep us from church or keep us from serving. And that is because usually the excuse is our idolatry. That's why we are idolaters. And so Paul says, okay, that identifies the flesh. As does induced influence like witchcraft, including drug dependence. I mean, witchcraft and divination seek to alter your reality or keep you from having to deal with it. Really, your reality stays the same, it just alters you and you're not able to deal with it. I mean, go figure. Sometimes it uses drugs to do that. Other times it uses various techniques that are popular in psychotherapy and things like that. And so so, so what happens is people today use drugs to try and give them what only God can give them. So they want pain relief, and only God can relieve pain. And they want inner peace and ability to cope, and only God can give that to you. So they make you dependent on something other than God to meet your need. Paul then lists all the things that flow down from that type of thing and substance abuse and and dependency and these. And I I started with this today because these are all the things destroying our society. Verse 20, hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies i don't have time to do an exegesis each one of those things because this is just a survey and i haven't even gotten to the fruit yet but uh, you know you want you 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 grow up uh, you become an adult you want to marry the perfect person but hey somebody had to marry you And and so this is our third point for study What had happened was God allows us to come together in our relationships with baggage so that we can learn by the gracious and tender movements of the Holy Spirit in us how to be gracious and tender in our walk with somebody else. So Paul is describing the Galatians, but he's describing us and he goes from the moral and the mystical or religious kind of sins to the mutually subversive sins, which affect our society. Verse 21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and he says such like, such like because the flesh evolves on you. And it evolves in its permutations. And so this isn't an exhaustive list. But it is obvious what kind of life develops from you being in the flesh and trying to get your way all the time. Verse 21, of the which Paul said, says, I tell you before. So I'm warning you in advance, even as I also have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god and here's all that means and this is our fourth point for study christians who follow the flesh will not get rewarded as full participants in christ's kingdom no saved person can get unsaved so no believer Ever loses their salvation once they become a Christian, they're born again, they don't get unborn, that cannot happen. So you're in the kingdom, but you may not get the inheritance that belongs to you, as you know, you may not get to rule with and reign with Christ, although you will be in the kingdom. That is why John says in 2nd John, the eighth verse of 2nd John says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So it is possible for you to lose a full reward even after there's something you should have been rewarded for. So Paul now makes his contrast. We're now ready for true spirituality. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit So the flesh is evident, but the spirit's also in evidence. So in verse 19, he calls it the works of the flesh. But now in verse 22, he calls it the fruit of the spirit. Sin is work because it pays wages. But being spiritual is a natural product of your intimacy with Christ. So let me give you three facts. Since this is a survey today, let me give you three facts about fruit. First... Letter A, fruit is always visible. You need to be careful of the tree that claims to have invisible fruit. Okay, so, so it's, you cannot say, but Alan, I'm walking in the Spirit in my heart. No, your heart is not right if, if your actions are not following and fulfilling the mind of the Spirit. I mean, you may be full of something, but it is, it is not the Spirit. So second, letter B, the character of fruit always reflects the nature of the plant. So the fruit that comes out of the new nature and a life controlled by the Spirit always reflects the character of Jesus the vine. In other words, it always makes us more and more Christ-like. And then finally, let her see fruit is always born for the benefit of somebody else. Fruit does not eat itself. And, and a vine does not eat its own fruit. I mean, fruit, which only exists for itself, goes rotten. I mean, if the fruit says, don't pick me, don't pick me. I don't want to be chosen. I just want, don't want to be touched. I just want to hang out here week after week. Well, okay, that fruit is not good for anything. The only reason you have fruit is so someone can take a bite and be nourished by that. So the Spirit wants to control you so that fruit is seen in your life and in your disciples, in your spiritual children, in your physical family. They should be able to take a bite out of your life and be instructed and edified and nourished. So notice the word fruit is singular, but then he goes on to list nine things. That's because these are all slices from the same orange. I mean, this is such a unique tree because it produces nine flavors of fruit all coming from one root. Watch verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Okay, it's fruit, not fruits. Because this tree can produce anything you need for every area of your life at any moment you need it. That is why this is the answer. It's not in human philosophy. It, it is not in theories of psychology. I mean, bet- when we put the gifts together with this fruit, as we will do in a future week, this gives you the complete answer. The tree will give you love because that is the basic crop. It will give you joy because that's love enjoying itself. It will give you peace because that's love being content with itself. It'll give you long suffering because that's love patient with others. It'll give you gentleness which is love that's useful to others. It will give you goodness, which is love's virtue to society. It will give you faith, which is love believing in God. It will give you meekness, which is love controlled by humility. And it will give you temperance, which is love that's not going to go too far. So let me hit you with this definition. Love is the ability to seek the glory of God in the life of everybody else. So the fruit of the spirit is not joy. I mean, it's not happiness. It is joy because Luther Vandross is happiness. Uh, Happiness is driven by circumstances, but joy has to do with the spirit deep down on the inside so that you can have joy even in unhappy circumstances on the outside. So the fruit of the spirit is peace because only he can bring harmony where there's conflict And he can take two personalities that clash and cause them to live together in love. And he can take two groups that are at war outside this church and bring them together inside this church to accomplish God's mission through this church. So that is fruit which is toward God. What about fruit which is toward others? Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Since the Spirit suffers long and is kind, you can think about how you're going to help instead of how you're going to get revenge and stay bitter. Because the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, your actions can bring benefit and not destruction. Because the fruit of the Spirit is faith, you are not in your marriage one day and out the next. Your love is constant. It is consistent. Now, what does that do for you? Well, you know, maybe, this, maybe these last two things are some of the most important fruit. Verse 23, meekness, temperance. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness, so that you're willing to submit to God, submit your strength under God, even when it's not your preference or it does not please you. The fruit of the Spirit is temperance, so it gives you the ability... To say no to wrong and yes to righteousness, it gives you the ability to be balanced. I mean, I admit, we, I mean, for one thing, we Americans were the new Romans, but the common malady of the day is bipolar. Everybody in America is bipolar. I'm just saying, this brings the answer. This gives you the answer. Because then he says, verse 23, against such there is no law. You do not need permission to do this. This is the law of the Spirit. So our fifth point for study is this. There is no legalism which will result in fruit, and there is no law that can, can stop it, can prevent it. And all this happens when we live God's way. And it it is because we have not been living God's way that we have all the inherent systemic problems that we face. But if you want to live a transformative and transformed and transforming Christian life you got to stop grieving the Holy Ghost. You need the assistance of an ungrieved Holy Ghost, and then he'll bring fruit into your life in the same way that it shows up in an orchard. It is him changing you, but you have to let him do it. I don't know if you've ever seen kids playing at an open fire hydrant on a hot day and uh, wondered, man, how do they get all that water in that little fire hydrant? I mean, I know the neighborhood dogs water it, but not that much. Well, it's because beneath the ground there's a pipeline, and it goes all the way to the water plant. And that water plant has in its reservoir more water than you can ever use. So as long as there is that invisible connection, there will always be a fountain of overflowing water. They say, Alan, yeah, you know, I felt like this this week. Well, okay, but the Holy Spirit is a water plant. And as long as you keep the connection tight, then fruit flows and it doesn't have to be worked up. So what do you do when you get kinky? And the flesh is kinking your connection. Paul gives two provisions for the continued production of spiritual fruit. Verse 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Okay now let me set this in a certain context so you understand the benefit that you're getting today by being here in this service. You know there's a children's book it's called uh, The Babadook I think The Babadook and so it's you know in this children's book a mother is reading a book to her child called The Babadook and it's really kind of demonic and and, you know it is uh, scary and so she uh, she stops reading but N- and not before the Babadook gets out, and the Babadook gets out of the book, and I mean, it's really threatening to her, and, and like she's it's going to kill her child. And but finally, uh, they come to this agreement, and uh, basically, the Babadook lives in the basement, and all she's got to do is visit the Babadook every day and feed him. Now, that book is a metaphor. I believe was written as a metaphor for grief, for depression, because that is the best a lost person can do on a good day. Is to say you're always going to be an addict. You're always going to be an alcoholic. You're—I mean, they don't have the new life. They don't have new life in Christ. The best they can say is, "This is you. You'll never change it." But you know what? Um, it's a bad friend, but you got to make friends with it. Put it in the basement. Visit it. Feed it every day, and uh, you know, just keep going on. And that's the best answer that they can give. Okay, contrast that with the answer the Apostle Paul is giving you. Because being crucified in Christ puts you in contact with the supply. And so the first key connection is crucifixion. Now, Paul says that's God's part. Galatians 2.20, you are crucified in Christ. Because you can't crucify yourself. But after that, you've got to mortify your members which are crucified. So there is a second thing, which is not what God does, it's what you have to do. So the water goes in pure from God's side. How do you make a solid connection on your side? Well, not by crucifixion, but by cultivation. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Since Christ is the life that we have, Make sure that you do not hold it just as an idea in your head or a sentiment in your heart. You need to work out your own salvation, as Paul says in Philippians, with fear and trembling. Work its implications out in every detail of living. And you do that by walking, by following the Spirit. So here is how to cultivate fruit so that you can walk out what you are working out and walk in the spirit number one walking means you're going someplace and you know where you're going i mean be careful of people who say they're walking but they're never moving okay they're never moving spiritually they're never growing because walking assumes you have a destination and you are progressing toward it number two walking means you're moving continually I mean, a baby tries to get up. It's unstable. It falls down, but it gets back up again. And, and as a matter of fact, we think something's wrong if a baby does not get back up and learn how to walk. So walking is natural to life. Falling is natural to walking. But some of you are being held hostage by what happened to you at age five or, uh, attachment issues or somewhere in the past or some trauma or some abuse, and you need to determine that it will not hold you hostage after today. Because if it does, you are walking in the flesh. Saying it's a generational thing. Saying that it's, you know, you can't get over because all your family had the same issue and the same problem. Okay, that is the witchcraft and the superstition of the flesh. Now, I'm not denying that the trauma happened to you. But I'm saying that if you are saved, you cannot deny that it happened in the providence of God. So, final point for study is this. The fruit of the Spirit is guaranteed, but it is not automatic. Some of you say you want to grow, but you're hanging out with people who are going backwards. I mean, they're going the opposite direction. You are going to have to develop strong relationships with a discipler uh, that will produce growth. You're going to have to develop those relationships in ministry with other people. I mean, fruit won't just fall off the tree if you are spending Sunday at Bedside Baptist or Lakeside Lutheran or Mattress Methodist. I'm just saying. Number three, walking means you are moving independence. It means you're placing your total weight one foot at a time. It means you're resting back on something that's holding you up and then you're pushing back against that solid foundation to propel yourself forward. You say, Alan, how do I know if I'm dependent and not independent? If it means I'm moving in dependence on someone else, how do I know I'm being dependent on the Holy Spirit and dependent on God? And the simple answer to that is prayer. How much do you desperately cry out to God? you know, in addition to being the Sunday before Veterans Day, this is also International Prayer for Persecuted Christians Day. And if uh, you follow me on Instagram uh, or on Facebook and you take a peek at my story uh, that I'll put up daily on uh, Instagram, uh, you'll notice I've been putting some things up about uh, specific individuals uh, that can be prayed for and what they're going on in persecution in other parts of the planet. None of us here in America goes through enough suffering in our lives to really be desperately dependent because of that, because of persecution or because of that suffering. That means you're going to have to cultivate this fruit from the seed up because if God is added to the plant later, the tree's just going to be barren. Galatians 6, verses 7 to 9 say, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Boy, ain't that true. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, the hope that I offer you today is the hope that no one else gives. Psychology, counseling, therapy does not give you the hope that you can ever change. That really, inside, you can ever be a different person. That your personality can change. Today, God is offering you that hope. And I there, you know, know there are most of us who have sown bad things in the past, even after we got saved, even as Christians. Uh, we've cultivated habits and perspectives and lifestyles which damage us. One thing is for sure. You can't change what you've already sown. But what you can do now, what you've heard today, is that you can plow up the field and you can start sowing new seed. The Holy Spirit knows how to plow. And he knows how to turn over the soil so you can cultivate new seed in your life. And even though we cannot change the bad harvest, you can turn that crop under, you can plow new ground by God's Holy Spirit. Call on the Spirit of God right now for his power, for his enablement to walk. I mean, are you even saved? Have you been born again? You you can do that by giving Christ control. I mean, you need to repent. That means you change your mind about sin. You change your mind about the Savior. You change your mind about what God has said about how you can be saved. I mean, comparative religions, no other religion offers you this. Salvation, forgiveness, eternal life from God. A conscious existence, life after death. And as we sung, there's no other God that we can call Father. This one. There's no other God who is our Savior. So you need to repent, change your mind, but then you need to be converted, which means you turn around. And you start turning under the bad crop so that you can... Turn over new soil and start planting the Holy Spirit's seeds. You're willing to be discipled and to grow. The seed is the word of God, which you've heard today. And the seed is the Holy Spirit who is calling you to receive it. And those two seeds can conceive eternal life in you and you will be born again. It is a spiritual birth, just like Jesus talked about it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. All you got to do is pray. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. You can pray right now and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. God save me for Jesus' sake. I'm putting all my faith in his finished work on the cross to save me from my sins, to put me in Christ and the Holy Spirit in me so that I'm born again. And you do need to go from there. You need to grow from there because if you get saved today, you're just a spiritual baby. You need the, what what Peter calls the sincere milk of the word of God. You need to grow. You need to come here to the front, either as we sing or after we sing and meet me or one of our altar counselors here at the front so I can give you a book that I've written to show you the next steps in the Christian life Next Sunday, we'll be back in the book of Romans to see the power of a divine purpose. This is life to you. Invite somebody you love so that they won't miss it. Father, I thank you today. I thank you because your word had the answers all along. But a lot of, t- a lot of I don't know, Lord, I'm sorry. A lot of churches don't teach it. A lot of pastors don't preach it. Somehow we've, we've been like Esau. We've sold our birthright for a mess of pottage that we get from the world because we think the Bible's not enough. Somehow we believe these things you're showing us is not sufficient. we got to go someplace else. And we haven't even given these things a good chance. And we didn't give it a chance because it requires that meekness, that temperance, that submission of our lives. It requires us to conform our definition and pattern of love to what you show us in the Bible. Lord, help us do that today. Help us do that today and use us. Use us at this holiday season, season especially. Use us as we get into looking at a focus on your mission. Use us, Lord. Make us fruitful. Make us bear fruit so we can benefit others and especially benefit the lost we ask it in Jesus precious and powerful name amen praise team sing us out